Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. As I said at the beginning of Mass, the next about two months we're living the theme here, you can't love what you don't know. And one of the aspects of it is Father Matt and I have promised that we're going to go a little bit deeper in our homilies, unpacking uh, just some of the implications of the images and teachings of the scriptures and how they stay alive in the life of the church with the purpose of being not interesting facts as much as then you and I with an awareness of what we do here when we gather, we can participate more deeply in the transforming power of Jesus who comes really to do one thing, and that's to unite our hearts back to the loving Father. That in the Garden of Eden, what made the Garden of Eden paradise weren't flowers. We have flowers. It's not like, oh man, they just had really pink flowers. It was amazing. No, what made the Garden of Eden so paradise-like is that in the hearts of Adam and Eve, they knew perfect love. And it wasn't simply for each other. It was that the tender, affectionate love of the Father that's been given to Jesus for all of eternity in the Trinity was actually permeating all of creation. And Adam and Eve were swimming in it, soaking in it like a hot tub, and they were all pruny. That's what made it paradise. That's what also then enables Jesus to endure such mockery criticisms. It's what allowed Jesus to be a man of deep joy and peace. A man who could pray deeply and enjoy people immensely. A man whose ego wasn't, didn't have an ego. He wasn't fragile. He wasn't wounded. He could easily forgive people because sharing in the love of the Father, he knew how weak and small we were. And he knew what we really needed was God's love coming to us by name. That that would heal restore and set us free to be the men and women we're craving to become. So let's enter into a little bit today. It's the feast of the baptism of the Lord. I want you to imagine there's John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, the desert, right? Got camel skin type of jacket, if you will, on or sweater. He's got a beard and he's been eating locusts and honey, which means little like locust feet are still sticking in his beard and honey's dripping down. He doesn't have a mirror in the morning to groom himself. He doesn't have a barber that, oh, I know a guy, he'll make your beard look nice. He doesn't have that. Right? He's a wild man. And all of this is to suggest to us he doesn't conform with a few miles away the life of the city. He's something different and strange because the pattern of the city was patterned on your identity and value is based on who you know, what you can do. Your identity and value is based on your efforts in the city. In the wilderness, none of that matters. In the wilderness, what matters is this strange man being the voice of God in the world. And he didn't say the most comforting of things at first. He said, repent, you sinners. And people were going out over and over to him. 
They were leaving the city and coming to John the Baptist, this strange man. And so there's a line of men and women right by the Jordan, and they're just lined up. Why? Because even in the life of the city, when we're all wearing the masks, when we're all pretending we're fine, when we all think, I'm good, how are you? You good? Good. All right, we're all good. Deep inside, we feel the insecurity of, am I lovable? Am I enough? Are the mistakes I've done in my past like a scarlet letter on my clothing that I have to hide so no one sees them? Am I still being punished? Does God actually see, know, and love me? Would that even matter? Yeah, I trust in God, but just in case, I got all these other safety measures. So if God doesn't come through, I can still get by. I.e., I don't really trust him yet. All of that insecurity and fear plagues all of us. And so these men and women, when they heard John the Baptist was baptizing people, what they heard was there was hope and meaning for that part of our hearts. We could go somewhere with it, and we didn't have to pretend we were fine. We knew how small we really felt, that we still feel like fifth graders at times, whether you're 90, 38, or 19. There's moments where you're just craving and longing for attention and love. That's in every one of us still. And so they all line up to meet John the Baptist and to be baptized in the water of the Jordan because it was a preparatory bath. You were told that this would prepare you for the coming Christ who would set things right. And so there's this long line of men and women, a hundred of them, and in them, in this line of people saying, I need God so desperately, is Jesus. Jesus steps into the line. He doesn't hover over the line, like levitating. He's not somewhere else. He's not like a backstage pass where he's like, well, yeah, you sinners should wait. You need it. I'm going to go right up front. No, he's just right in the line. Number 28, let's say. Didn't even notice him. Why? Because he knows what it's like to have a human heart. To be like us in all things, it says in the book of Hebrews, means Jesus says, I know what it's like to have a heart totally desperate for love, life, healing, power, encouragement. What you're looking for is the Father. So Jesus can stand in this line of men and women and say, I know what it's like to have desperate longings. The only difference, Jesus says, is I've always looked to the Father for fulfillment. But I have the same desires. It's just that all of us as sinners, we've gone to other people and things to fill it. And it numbs it and makes us full of regret, but doesn't satisfy. Jesus says, I know how to satisfy It's the Father. So he stays in the line of these sinners and he gets baptized. Coming out of the baptismal, of the baptismal waters, they're all praying together. It says everyone who was baptized was praying and Jesus was there too, praying. They're all just praying together. And then the revelation happens from the heavens. The Father says, you are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Can you imagine how shocking that was? Wait, this guy next to me? That guy's the one. He's just like us. He's the son. 
He's the only begotten divine one, co-creator of the world, the one who decided the stars should look the way they do. This guy, he just got water like I did. It's because God is not scandalized or offended by our sins. He sees them as the very reason why we need kindness, why we need healing. And so the message here is that God pours his life-giving love in your life and mine, not when things are awesome, but when things are broken. Not when we feel secure and well-maintained and I got a competent plan and a good schedule this week, I'm ready for a good week. Not in those moments, but when we feel desperate. Am I good? Do you love me? I was just talking to a married guy this week, and he said early on in their marriage, he was so insecure that every time he had a fight with his wife, he wouldn't give her the space. Like after a fight, you need a space to process before you reconcile. He wouldn't give her the space because he was afraid she was going to go pack her bags and leave. Because right? he was imperfect, and he was afraid he was going to be abandoned in his imperfections. Those are the places in us where Jesus just says, I'm right next to you. I'm right here. So what does this look like for us in the 21st century? Well, if you notice, at every single Mass, we never begin a Mass, or hardly ever, I should say, without what's called the penitential rite. That's at the beginning where we either say the confidior, I confess to Almighty God, or we say the Lord have mercies, the Kyrie's. Which is very odd, right? Because the narrative of the world about church people is we think we're fine and we're judgmental. It's kind of like the basic criticism of, people, of church people. You guys think you're better than me and you're just judging me. It's like, well, did you know every time we get together, the first thing we do is ask for mercy and forgiveness from God? Like, we sing a song to unite us, to praise God, so we remember in our bodies and ears why we're here. And then the first thing we do is we pause to acknowledge we're broken, we need healing, we need help. We don't do that to get God's love, as if we beat ourselves up enough, then God will love us. We do it because we know he already loves us. And so with great freedom, we don't have to be perfect. We can show him our wounds and our brokenness and needs because we've seen in the scriptures that he's already there. He's right there with us saying, I have mercy. I'm here to heal you. The only thing he can't do is save someone who doesn't think they need saved. It's the only thing Jesus can't do. He can't heal you if you think you're fine. He can't forgive me if I don't think I need forgiveness. So we begin every Mass by saying, I need healing, I need forgiveness, I need help, please have mercy. And then that disposes us to hear what are called the love letters from the Father, the sacred scriptures. Where we hear in the first reading today, God saying, give comfort to my people. In the second reading, we hear the kindness and generous love of God has appeared. Not an idea, he's appeared. How? In Jesus. And in the gospel, we hear how that comfort and kindness embodied in Jesus is revealed right among everyone else who recognizes they need a savior. They need help. And as we do this, we hear the scriptures, then our hearts are meant to open to say, Lord, I do need this. And so when you come forward for the Eucharist, you know exactly in your life and in mine where you need that Eucharist to touch, where you need him to go in your life. 
so that healing you in that exact place, we can go forth from here, not as like a secret little religious people. Oh, I did my religious thing. I can check the conscience box. I don't feel guilty. No, we can go forth from here now with great joy and peace where we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have arrived. There's no ets, well, certainly by the time I'm 30, I should be this, or by the time I'm 50, I should feel this way, or I'm 80, why am I still feeling this way? There, there's, no, there's no arriving. It's just a constant journey. And so this began in baptism when we were initiated into relationship with the Father, and it continues at every Mass. For the big sins in our life, there's the confessional to wash us and encourage us. The Eucharist is there to strengthen us. Praying daily with scriptures warms and disposes us. Our acts of kindness and charity shares it with others. And we begin over time to make the world humbler, but also more human and more Christian. This is the great gift of a God who loves sinners. So I want to end with this little story. There was a gentleman I got to know a little bit in one of my assignments. He was in his late 70s. He was a successful businessman. At this point in his life, he had sold off his business and retired, and him and his wife had a wonderful life together. And he was a good man. Mass every Sunday. Never miss a mass. Helped out around the church. Fish fries, things like this. Good guy. And in his retirement, he decided, you know, he was going to start praying more because he had time. And, of course, that was his big plan, and then he didn't. And so he started to feel guilty, and then, you know, we started talking about that and things like this. But one of the things we were praying, he was praying one time, he said, he started remembering how early on in his life he just felt so insecure. He really never felt growing up like his mom and dad delighted in him and had time for him. And so there's always this part of his heart where he felt a question mark. Am I good? Am I enough? He felt weak and little. And what he said he realized later on in life looking back was his whole company he started was so that he never had to feel that way again. He was in charge of the company. Every room he went into, he was the man. He didn't have to wait on anyone. He didn't have to depend on anyone. He was in charge. And so he took this little part of his heart. Instead of discovering the love of the Father and the healing of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he walled it off with his whole career. And for decades, he never had to feel little, small, insecure, weak, or dependent again. And he said it wasn't until later on in life when his body started failing and things started getting weak, we started realizing, boy, no matter how many companies I could ever run, I eventually have to feel weak, vulnerable, dependent. And as he prayed with the scripture, he said, I realize that this doesn't make me old or bad, it makes me a child. And he loved his children so much that he said, oh, I've been ignoring the fact that if I love my kids and I'm one of God's kids, he must love me. And he learned his career, which he came to me thinking it was all bad. He messed up his whole life. I was able to calm him down and say, you gave jobs, you, pro you, you provided for your family. This is a wonderful thing. It wasn't all bad, okay? But he realized his motive for his career was hiding. And thanks be to God, Jesus showed him this. So in his final years, he realized the thing he hated most in his life was feeling weak, was the very place in him Jesus loved the most in his life. And so he began in his later years to have such a wild joy about him because the very place that caused shame was now a place where he was beloved. He's not special. He's like one of us. He's in the same line waiting for the baptisms. 
If Jesus is number 27, he might be number 35, <laughs> right? He's just in the line like all of us. And what we get upset about is when we think we can't have these needs or we've taken them to other people and they've hurt us or we get mad that other people have brokenness. It's because we all forget that the answer is the Father's love poured out in the sacraments, in the church, in our hearts so that we can remind a world that feels like orphans that they actually are chosen and adopted by God. God bless you.